You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. As Craig mentioned, our second reading, as he was telling the children, comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 1, verses 15 through 22. As we continue our sermon series, this is our story. And this week we look at some lesser known characters in the Bible, picking up from last week when we talked about Joseph and his dreams. Now we turn to Shifra and Pua. Listen now for the word of God. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and you see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt, he summoned the midwives and he said to them, why have you done this and allowed these boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, oh, well, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every boy that is born to the Hebrews, you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Good and gracious God, settle our hearts, all of those gathered in this place, that your word may enter our ears, come into an open mind, and transform us so that we may be sent from this place, renewed in your calling upon us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts here be pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This isn't our story. I know that slide might be confusing, but this isn't our story. This morning's scripture, it follows on the heels of the conclusion of Joseph's and his brothers' lives and deaths, the time of the Israelites first in Egypt. Shifra and Pua, they show up in a transitional time between Joseph and then as Craig was telling the children, Moses right after. In the grand scheme of things, these two women, these two Hebrew midwives, they sort of come and go. They're part of the story. It only takes seven verses, the ones I just read, and even in that, it might even be more like four maybe five. And after these few verses, the story goes on. It keeps moving along. Shifra and Pua, little known characters in the greater story of Israel, but characters and women who are instrumental 
to its continuation. Their actions don't seem to be appreciated or talked about on the grand scale and in the same scale as others in the Old Testament. We're way more familiar with Isaiah, the prophet that when read from before this text. We're familiar with Joseph and his technicolored coat and Moses from his time as a baby to the burning bush to leading the people out of Israel. And yet... These two women, their actions, well, they save Israel. Their actions pave the way for the exodus out of Egypt. Shifra and Pua arrive in the story amid chaos and crisis. For the king of Egypt and generations of Egypt who knew the great things that the God of Israel did through Joseph have passed. The days in which the Egyptians were saved by those very dreams of Joseph given to him by God, well, they've been long forgotten. Not necessarily by the Hebrews, but definitely by the Egyptians. And with those dreams and the forgotten dreams, the favor of the Hebrew people among the Egyptians has greatly waned. Now, blind or ignorant to the past, the new Pharaoh, he observes a crisis among Egyptians. He looks out, and he sees the potential decline of his power and his people. He grows distrusting of the Israelites because they now outnumber the Egyptians in Egypt. Something's off. And instead of hope and promise... Instead of that collaboration between two peoples, Pharaoh's story is wrapped in fear. And I don't want you to mistake Pharaoh's fear as the same as Shifra's and Pua's fear, because Pharaoh seeks control, and he's terrified of any possibility that he might lose it. His actions are calling for mass genocide, and they're in response to the crisis that he sees. Now, on the other hand, Shifra and Pua's fear is in God. Their faith is rooted in the reverence and worship of the living God, the God who they know. They don't fear what God might do if they follow Pharaoh's command, but rather they hold God's past action with such reverence that they refuse to follow along with the genocide of their own people. Their fear is not of Pharaoh, but a reverence of God. Their act of defiance to Pharaoh's command, it's a direct response to the actions of God in the world. As midwives, Shifra and Pua, they have a responsibility to bring life into the world. As Craig was telling the children, Midwifery is what God has called them to. It's their responsibility. And here in this text, in this short piece of the story, Pharaoh commands them to abandon that call. To instead of being women and individuals who bring life into the world, Pharaoh says, bring death. This isn't their story. 
This is God's story. Shifra and Pua, they know God's power and they know God's promise. The crisis here isn't that the people of Egypt and its leaders have forgotten Joseph. That's not the crisis. The crisis is that the people have forgotten what God did through Joseph. And the courage of faith and the responsive actions of these two women, it's sown into God's activity in time. It's a faith-filled response. This isn't our story. This is God's story. Have you, any of you heard of the term main character syndrome? Maybe, maybe not. I know Kennedy knows it. We talked about it the other day. That's why I'm not, she doesn't have it. An article published on Forbes in early August that discussed this main character syndrome in the workplace. Well, they wrote and said, Main character syndrome is a term made popular on TikTok, stay with me, to describe a tendency among people to view themselves as the lead character in their own life story. People with main character syndrome, they tend to be self-centered and self-absorbed, making it difficult to work collaboratively with others. It's often associated with negative traits such as narcissism and entitlement. Main character syndrome. Well, there are certainly people in this world who I think probably suffer from main character syndrome daily. I also think it's fair to say that at some point, we all fall into the trap of thinking that our story is the most important story. If not thinking that our story is the story. It's in these moments that we lose any essence of empathy. We look at others around us as supporting actors. We become the sun, and everyone and everything around us revolves around us. Our actions become rooted in self-preservation, and it's in these moments that our perspective is the only thing that matters. And everyone else in our orbit simply needs to fall in line with that perspective or become the antagonist to our protagonist. Main character syndrome. It's a real problem. At the Kiwanis Weekly Gathering this past Thursday, John Young Shit Conklin presented. Now, John Young Shit Conklin is the 10th music director of the Spartanburg Philharmonic which was founded in 1928, celebrating their 95th year of existence this year in 2023, preparing for their 100th anniversary in 2028. Now, John Young Shit Conklin's biography and his resume, it's incredible to read. I was sitting there before he gave his presentation, just going through his little biography. He's very accomplished. He's performed and conducted in numerous philharmonics around the country and the world, participated in conducting competitions, having won a few and runner-up on these grand scales. He's even worked musically with the Super Bowl halftime show. 
in the NCAA's March Madness tournament. It's fascinating. But what stood out to me in his presentation was the very little bit that he focused on his own story. He acknowledged the honor and the privilege of serving as a music director, and he told us about his own journey into that role, coming to Spartanburg, how even before he got this role, when he was up at Yale, he was sitting there waiting just in case he needed to be called to come and fill in, to conduct for the Philharmonic when the current music director was pregnant. She ended up giving birth the next morning, so he never got the call. But beyond that, much of his time in this presentation, it was spent pointing to the history of the Philharmonic in Spartanburg, giving light to the fact that it's much older and more mature than many of the Philharmonics in big cities all around us. He shined with pride, reflecting on the past directors and the honor it was to follow them. He noted continually the value of his team around him. And he spent a good deal pointing to the many musicians who make up that orchestra, saying that it's not me, it's them. This stood out to me because he talked about the present and he talked about the past and he pointed to the future all of the Spartanburg Philharmonic. And in all of it, one thing to me was so very clear, that John knows it isn't his story. This isn't our story. This isn't our story. Those trees don't tell our story. Because, see, our story is but a chapter maybe even a single verse of God's story. That's a healthy dose of humility. Our story is but a chapter, maybe even a single verse of God's story. There are 66 books in the Bible, 66 in the Holy Word, and that's still only a sliver of the story of God in the world. Shifra and Pua get seven verses at the very beginning of Exodus. Here's some math numbers for you to blow your mind. There are 1,213 verses in all of Exodus. Shifra and Pua account for 0.5% of the verses in this book alone. They account for 0.03% of the Old Testament and 0.02% of the entire Bible. And yet, even though they may be forgotten or unknown to the majority, will their faithful response, that faithful response that they take on to God's acts, it propels the story forward. And not just in the moment, but with generational impact. The faith is shown in a single verse, a single verse. The midwives feared God, and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. 
that one verse, 0.08% of the book of Exodus, a single verse. Friends, that might be all we get. So what are we going to do with our verse? If that's all we get, what are we going to do with our verse? We might be lucky and get two. We might. I don't know if you've ever paid attention to people's social media bios or their tattoos or uh, eye black in sports or even wall art on people's offices and homes. But when I look at that, not once have I ever seen biography. John Daniel Debevois, pastor, Florida State Seminoles, husband to Eliza, baller, <laughs> the entire book of Micah. Not once have I seen someone say the book of Ruth. Nowhere have I seen a tattoo of someone at the gym that just says the Holy Bible, King James Version. <laughs> no, never. Because we rarely anchor ourselves to the tree with the hole. There's always some limb or branch or even leaf that draws us in and connects us to the whole thing. There's something about a specific verse that grabs us in and roots us to the whole story. Micah 6.8. Philippians 4.13, John 3.16, Jeremiah 29.11, Isaiah 41.10, a single verse. A single verse. And that single verse's percentage of the whole story, it may be small, but just like Shifra and Pua, the potential impact of a single verse cannot be understated. So how will our verse tell of our faithful response to God's activity in the world? What is your verse going to say? What is First Presbyterian Spartanburg's verse going to point to? And will our response within that verse be rooted in our fear of decline in an ever-changing world? Or will it be rooted in our reverence of God who acted yesterday, acts today, and will act tomorrow? We only get one verse. And we might get seven. But what are we going to write? What are we going to say? How is that verse going to point to our reverence of the living God? How will that verse point to the truth and the hope known in the resurrected Jesus Christ? But the tomb was empty. Remember, this isn't our story. This, all of this, all of us, this is God's story. And it's in that story that we find hope, peace, and love. It's in God's story that we're filled with the courage to respond. 
because God is the living God. That's our crisis. Our crisis is encountering that God, the living God of past, present, and future. So how will we respond? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. A single verse, a single verse. Let us pray. God, you fill us with both gratitude and humility and knowing that we are a part of your story. We are reminded that we are just a part. Help us to be filled with that humility to walk in the path of Christ that we may extend love and hospitality to all we meet, that our actions may be rooted in response to your actions of love, justice, and mercy. Challenge us to not just to do this alone, but to lean on one another as we move forward, pursuing your mission for the world. We pray this all in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.